Airport 3. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. You are here with Dean and it's the 29th of March and it's going to be been forgetting to do the weather recently, uh, 22 degrees today. Uh, just quickly, before I announce our guests on the show, 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to elders past and present and emerging and acknowledge that, uh, sorry, the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and the treaty was never signed. Um, just quickly, on the show, we will have uh, Union News, the wrap of uh, Union News with Matt Kunkel coming up. And at 7.30, we'll do a follow-up with uh, Chris uh, Atmore, who is the uh, lawyer with uh, Environmental Justice Australia, and we spoke to her last month, and she was talking about landfills in Melbourne's west continuing to grow, and the residents there obviously were taking um, the, the expansion of the landfill to, to VCAT, so it will be uh, great to follow up on some of the concerns now, as the uh, EPA has been ignoring the concerns. Uh, we were hoping to get Ed Hill from Friends of the Earth to talk about some great news which um, uh, were announced by the Andrews government that will increase protection of the quark forest in East Gippsland. We've spoken about that a few times. And after eight, we will be talking to Mara Bonacci. She is in Canberra. Uh, there was a court trial that started two days ago now um, regarding the uh, Super Glue 7 um, and she will be giving us an update as to what's happening, and that's in relation to the seven uh, WACA uh, members who superglued themselves to the railing of the public gallery in November 2016, and they have been appearing in the Canberra Supreme Court. So it would be great to get a, an update from them, and hopefully we might get uh, somebody from Change of Record 2 to talk about um, calling a halt to soaring numbers of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people sent to prison. So it might be a jam-packed show, but I'll be um, back in just a minute. I'll go to a quick community announcement, and I'll um, have a bit of a chat to you guys before we listen to Matt Kunkel. Dear listeners, the annual Good Friday charity Radiathon of the Australian Medical Aid Foundation will kick off from 9 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., on Friday the 30th March. 3CR is dedicating its media space to support this noble cause. Therefore 3CR's regular program will not be on air during this time. The funds raised from this 10-hour radiothon will be utilized to supply medical aid, equipment, training, patient-centered care programs and resources to those affected by 30 years of war in the north and east of Sri Lanka. You too can become a generous partner by calling us on 03-9419-8377 during the Radiothon on 30th Friday to donate towards this wonderful initiative.
why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR? Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. 3CR, the perfect companion in your car on your road trip. If you're on digital, Mm. no tram interference. Mm. But if you're streaming, there's no tram interference. No. That's true. But if you like correct interference is always the AM. The AM. Old school. (laughs) You know, some people like to crack along vinyl. Or some some people like noise music. Experimental Mm -hmm, noise music. mm To subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is $35. Yes. yes. Waged? 75 And solidarity? One fifty. One fifty. That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 94198377 and... Subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. Uh, I'm back on 855 AM 3CR. Uh, hopefully, um, my co-host Shez is on her way to visit her mum, and Grace, we hope to see you soon. Just quickly, um, I found it interesting um, that over the last sort of, I guess it's been a week now, and I know we are Radical Radio, but it's that the nation has been in mourning, mourning so much so that I've heard grown man, grown men cry and I'm sure there's some um, uh, women out there who cried about this as well. Such a tragic, tragic situation that we find ourselves in where, where the nation's beloved cricket team has been on the news every day for the last five weeks, never mind that um, the real tragedy is happening out there in our communities. Um, you know, it's taken up so much airtime that, um, you know, we're forgetting things like, for example... Um, uh, the federal government, um, you know, not failing to halt soaring numbers of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being sent to prison. Um, you know, despite some improvements in recent years, we know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people continue to be one of the most vulnerable groups in Australia. Um, there are things that are, that are happening, you know, almost 670,000 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living in Australia. Um, and, you know, one third of them are pretty much living in um, in major cities, but you know the the, the incarceration rate um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are much higher than you know the mainstream. So if 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 people are going to be crying about the fact that uh, the Australian cricket team are cheating, there's there's a lot there's a lot of other things that you could be crying about, um, like the environment, uh, indigenous issues community issues, uh, and I guess that's why, um, you know, our, our, our listeners listen to uh, Radical Radio because uh, we cover what is actually happening out there and not necessarily um, care about uh, whether somebody has uh, been playing with sandpaper or not. Um, that was that was my rant. I just found it really, really annoying that, uh, you know, there's, there's people who, who have been so embarrassed and so, so disgruntled that they're in tears that the uh, number one national team is in trouble for cheating. Get some perspective. It's only sport. Um, it's time now to, uh, yeah, go and listen to Matt Kunkel's uh, Union News rap, and then we'll try and um, go to track and get uh, Chris Atmore on. Two workers were killed when an approximately five-metre-deep sewer trench collapsed in the Victorian Regional Centre of Delacombe last week. 
A 34-year-old man was killed instantly and a 21-year-old died a day later in hospital. The first workers on the scene jumped into the unstable trench with nothing but their bare hands trying to dig out the men before equipment and crews finally arrived. It took more than two hours to free the 21-year-old man who was buried up to his waist before rushing him to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. A vigil was held for the two men out the front of the Victorian Trades Hall Council, where Dr Paul Sutton, head of the OHS unit at the hall, again called for the Victorian Labor government to introduce strict industrial manslaughter offences to hold to account the managers of businesses which negligently kill their workers. The trade union movement in Victoria is calling for industrial manslaughter laws here in Victoria. Those industrial manslaughter laws would see companies and individuals liable for um, penalties, including jail time, equivalent to the manslaughter laws in our Crimes Act. These laws exist in the UK, they exist in Canada, they exist in the ACT, they exist in Queensland. They are not, we're not asking for anything unique here. We're asking for Victorians to have the same protections that are granted to other workers in other jurisdictions. It's been reported that the two men were working without a trench shield, which would have protected them from the collapse. Last Tuesday, about 50 union activists descended on the coastal Victorian town of Lawn to protest out the front of the Victorian Transport Association's annual conference. The protest raised awareness of the VTA's links to international stevedoring company ICTSI, whose Victorian operations were subject to a two-week community picket at WebDoc after a union activist was fired late last year. The protest came a day after a dozen activists crashed the VTA's conference, protesting its support for ICTSI's union-busting methods. These protesters interrupted former Liberal Ports Minister David Hodgett's speech by unfurling a banner and holding up posters highlighting ICTSI's links to dictators across the globe. Both protests resulted in the VTA being forced to adjourn the proceedings. Here's Colin Vernon, Secretary of the Geelong Trades and Labor Council, speaking at the rally. So we come down here yesterday, 17 activists, women, men, unemployed, traditional unionists, we come down here, we went in there and we told them the type of stuff that you're doing, you're not going to get away with it, you're not going to get away with it in Sydney, we told you there, you think you can come down here and hide, we know you're here. So they thought they'd turn the lights off on us, they kept us in there on the dark. But I tell you what, you might have had us in the dark, but we still see what you're doing and we're not going to let you get away with it. You can go to the corners of the earth and we'll still be there. The mighty Australian trade union movement standing with the international unions will not let you get away with it. And what I say to the transport industry is, think about who you associate with. The International Transport Workers Federation has vowed to continue its campaign against ICTSI both in Australia and wherever they operate internationally. A sweeping restructure of the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, the AMWU, has been endorsed by a special national conference last week. The restructure, which will take effect from July 1 this year, sees the unification of the union's four divisions. Until now, the union had been organised in four different divisions, a printing, a food and confectionery, a vehicle building and a general division. The restructure was proposed after a review conducted by former ACTU Secretary Greg Combay, in which, submitted in 2016, warned of potentially catastrophic decreases in the AMWU's membership, in part due to a decline of manufacturing within the union's coverage. National Secretary of the AMWU, Paul Bastian, has assured members that the new structure would improve governance 
and ensure that each of the former divisions of the union would retain representation within the structure. It would also ensure that the majority of delegates to its national conferences would be drawn from the rank and file. He went on to say that this move would lead to a more unified purpose for the union, finalising the amalgamation of unions forming the AMWU in the early 1990s. United Voice members at security services company Wilson Security are set to vote on strike action after frustration at stalled negotiations boiled over last week. The union has been seeking a new enterprise agreement for more than a year now, and Wilsons, who are one of the nation's largest security contractors, are dragging out these negotiations, blaming the loss of contracts as the reason for failing to offer fair wage increases and the protection of existing entitlements. Wilson Security has lost significant contracts in Victoria in the recent past, including the Department of Housing and the National Gallery of Victoria. The loss of the contract at the galleries was said to be linked to Wilson's ongoing involvement with Australia's offshore refugee detention regime. The union has said that the loss of the Victorian contracts is not related to wages and conditions and that other firms are competing with Wilson's on a level playing field. United Voice said that if Wilson's wants to stop losing its contracts, that it should end its war on workers, sit down with the union and negotiate a fair outcome for all its Victorian guards. Another enterprise agreement has been terminated, this time at a bulk grain terminal on the Adelaide docks. Company Viterra applied to the Fair Work Commission to terminate the agreement after three years of deadlock negotiations with the Australian Workers' Union failed to result in a new agreement. The termination, which affects about 50 workers at the terminal, wipes out hard-won redundancy conditions, returning the workers to the national employment standard that caps out at 12 weeks' pay, regardless of their length of service. It will also cut pay by up to 24%. The company has made no guarantees to maintain existing conditions, instead looking to continue its aggressive approach to cutting wages and conditions in the further negotiations with the AWU. The termination now places a ticking time bomb in the laps of the union members, who face losing all their conditions and being placed on the minimum ward conditions as early as August this year. The union, citing a lack of faith in the system, refused to engage in the termination case, allowing Vatira to lead unchallenged evidence about the damaging nature of Union 1 conditions. In making the decision, Fair Work Commissioner Peter Hampton accepted that it would be likely that there would be cuts in wages, but still found that terminating the agreement was in the public interest. This is the most recent example of a company successfully wiping away decades of union struggle, circumventing the collective power of union workers under a broken bargaining system. That was uh, Stick Together's Mac Kunkel, and he was reporting there on the double worker fatality as a result of a trench collapse at uh, Dalcom Construction Site near Ballarat. And obviously there was a AMW restructure, and there were protests in lawn against the Victorian Transport Association's support for Steve Adora and Company, ICTSI, and there was a strike um, vote imminent at Wilson Security. And we also heard him speak about the termination of another enterprise agreement. Um, and Mick Kunkel can be heard on the Stick Together program, which is every Wednesday morning, 8.30am to 9am, or you can go to www.3cr.org.au forward stick together. Language warning. Might uh, go to a quick track before we come back with our first guest. Um, did mention that uh, on the 8th of Feb, Thursday the 8th of Feb, we had a, a quick chat to um, 
Chris Atmore about Western Suburbs residents who were yeah, grappling with the flow and effects of China's ban on imported material for recycling and the landfills in Melbourne's West are continuing to grow. So it would be great to um, have a chat to Chris about what the Env- Environment Protection Authority is doing in regards to that. Uh, I'll go to uh, my favourite track, a Traluga, which I hadn't found and I couldn't find for years, but hopefully it gets you in the mood for a fantastic day at work. Job. Come on, you know you want one. Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, you're on 855am3cr.org.au. Uh, just before we um, get to our first guest, this week the Public Health Association of Australia, PHAA, um, had appeared before the Joint Standing Committee on Treaties uh, at its inquiry hearing on the uh, Pacific Agreement for Closer Economic Relations Plus, so PACER Plus, uh, and I guess the major concerns of the community around the health, political and inequ- and economic impacts of trade liberalisation and small development countries in the Pacific. Uh, the association recommended that the proposed trade legislation be deferred pending independent analysis of these impacts. Uh, Michael Moore, CEO of the PHAA, attended the hearing to voice uh, PHAA's concerns, saying free trade agreements are one of the key ways through which political economic environments determine national health outcomes. Therefore, the PHAA calls for transparent trade negotiating practices and for the routine use of independent health and independent environment and human rights impact assessments during trade negotiations. Uh, and that was their uh, press release uh, a couple of days ago. And then yesterday, um, the Public Health Association of Australia welcomed their new CEO, Terry Slevin. So, um, Michael Moore is, is uh, going to leave and he's been a regular guest on the 3CR Thursday program and what we'll do is uh, maybe try and uh, get him on next week to say farewell but also to get a bit of an update on the PACER Plus situation and what some of their recommendations, especially regarding independent health and independent uh, environment assessments in relation to, to um, you know, uh, trade practices um, might be. So, um, yeah, um, uh, obviously, uh, welcome to the new CEO, Terrace Levin. I'm not sure when he'll take over, but um, I'm sure uh, the outgoing adjunct professor, Michael Moore, 
who has been a wonderful guest here on the 3CR Thursday Breakfast, will come on one more time before he leaves his position. Oops, that always happens. I'll be back with our first guest after this community announcement. One of Melbourne's longest-running hospitals, St Vincent's Hospital, is turning 125. They're calling on community to help raising funds. To support the vital work of the hospital by participating in a pyjama-themed fun run. On Sunday, April 15th at Princess Park in Carlton North. Registrations are now open. For more information, head to stvincentsfunrun.org.au. St Vincent's is a 3CR supporter. Marxism 18 is Australia's biggest radical left-wing conference, happening March 29th to April 1st in Melbourne. The conference will feature founding editor of Jacobin magazine, Bhaskar Sunkara, Australian writer Helen Razor, Palestinian activist Huwaida Araf, and films celebrating 50 years since the struggles of 1968. Join radicals and activists for political discussion in over 100 sessions across four days. Tickets start at $25 and are available at marxismconference.org. Red Flag Press is a 3CR supporter. Uh, it's uh, 7.30am on 855 am Three CR. Um, uh, in early Feb, Thursday, eighth of Feb, uh, we spoke about um, a, a community um, challenging the growth of the Rurabi Mountain, and I think what was going on there was that Western Suburbs uh, residents were going to take the expansion of the Rurabi landfill to VCAT after the tribunal refused to uphold Wyndham City Council's attempt to have residents' application dismissed. Um, and the local community organisation, the Western Region Environment Centre, we're now participating in a legal review of the Environment Protection Authority's decision to approve the expansion. We know that Wyndham City Council are the owner-operator of the landfill and they had argued against the review saying there were no valid arguments for the tribunal to consider. And we had spoken at the time to uh, a lawyer uh, with Environmental Justice Australia, Chris Atmore, and we decided to give uh, Chris Atmore a call back because it seems like uh, Western Suburbs residents um, have feel like they're being ignored and brushed off by Victoria's EPA. But to get an update on this situation, we've got um, uh, Chris Atmore on the line. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Dean. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. Um, yeah, time sort of flies, but then it doesn't if you are a resident of uh, the western suburb of Ruby. Um, I did, uh, you know, get some information from Josh the other day talking about, um, you know, how um, the western suburbs are feeling like the Environment Protection Authority is ignoring them and brushing them off. Can you give us a bit more of an update as to um, how the situation is over there? Yeah, sure. Um, this has actually been going on, you know, probably since the 1980s um, and um, so one of the things that really came out uh, when we were um, starting to do this work with the Western Region Environment Centre was just how um, 
how long um, and how many stories there were from people living in the West about um, their attempts to try and complain about various forms of pollution and in particular um, their dissatisfaction with the way in which the EPA had sort of treated their complaints. Um, so part of the work that we ended up doing with um, Western Region Environment Centre, or REC as it's commonly called, um, was that we decided to put together a report um, that initially just collected those stories uh, and then because um, we're now in a context of several important developments that relate to that, um, one of which is the reforms to the Environment Protection Act, so we're expecting a bill to come out sort of any minute from the government. Um, government's also committed as part of its response to the EPA inquiry uh, to a whole of government uh, environmental justice strategy. Uh, and then, of course, the EPA itself, is, as part of the government response, has been given a substantial injection of cash to um, basically beef up its um, resources and responses. So in the context of all of that, we thought it was really important to remind both the EPA and the government that there's certain standards that we expect from these changes um, and that you can't just ignore a previous history of... Um, the EPA not acting as a champion for people uh, and um, they want to hold the EPA and the government accountable um, for these changes actually producing some decent results. And I think more importantly too, it's you know that, that new report, Raising a Stink, um, for, for people maybe not in the western suburbs, it, it does give an in-depth, um, uh, I guess, uh, insight into those those harrowing stories of those people in those communities that are struggling for environmental justice there. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think there's no doubt that you know, people all around Victoria would have similar stories. Um, so, you know, this really came out of the focus of our work, but there's no reason to think, um, you know, that similar processes aren't operating all around the state. So, you know, there's a, we've divided the report into a number of themes, you know, based on what we've heard from residents and um you know, one one of the key ones is um, really about um, the way in which there's just not proper accountability built into the current system. So, essentially, what happens um, with environmental decision making uh, around landfills, for example, which are a big focus of the report, is that um, the government sees industry as the sort of key. Uh, entity that it should consult with and communities are a bit of an afterthought. Um, now the EPA would you know, emphatically deny that um, because there are supposedly structures and mechanisms in place for community to actually have input, um, particularly through these entities called community reference groups, which we talk about in the report. But um, communities' experience of those kinds of mechanisms is that they really just pay lip service to the idea of consultation. You know, they don't they don't have any legal force. Um, communities often feel like they're not listened to in those meetings. There's not always adequate minutes taken. Uh, if they're chaired, it's not necessarily neutral or the chair's hands are sort of tied um, in, in comparison to industries. And, you know, the same problems come up year after year and um, the response is something should be done about them. But then, you know, three, four years later, the, the same thing happens. So, mm. you know... Especially because... They, they champion themselves as, as, as vital in protecting the environment and, and also uh, relying on you getting involved and, and reporting online and, and reporting non-compliance and, 
you know, and having this website that talks about setting and enforcing standards regulating permissible levels of emission, discharge and deposit to the environment. And when a community group such as yours makes a case, it's it's a bit um, misleading. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's essentially, you know, one of the reasons why uh, REC is taking this case to VCAT is, um, you know, really challenging the, the EPA's decision-making. Um, and And a part of what the report critiques is the way in which um, scientific standards and methods have been used by the EPA in the past. So, you know, we're fully aware that uh, with the, you know, cash injection that we're hoping for greater things uh, in terms of scientific standards and they've now appointed a chief environmental uh, scientist, but the point is, um, you know, we're holding up in this report a lot of past examples of uh, where science has been, um, you know, for want of a better word, quite shonky. So um, we've got an example in the report, um, for instance, of uh, a claim made in a debate between the community uh, and the EPA and various experts uh, that sort of turned out that the um, expert was wrong by a factor of one million um, Mm. about the amount of dioxin, you know, uh, and that wasn't contradicted by the EPA. It was sort of up to the community to point that out and, you know, that wasn't really taken on board. Um, So it's all very well, you know, as I'm sure the EPA will say, um, to say that, oh, this is in the past and, you know, things things have changed now. But, um, you know, the point of this report is to say, well, look, the proof is in the pudding, so um, we're holding this up to you and saying great that these changes have been promised, but let's see the evidence that you are now going to be a champion for the people because over the years the reviews into the EPA have all said that that's what people want in Victoria. They actually want the EPA to stand up for the environment um, and by association stand up for their need for safety and health. And I guess even in, in Rex's decision, it's, it seems like their, their main issue and their main problem is, you know, uh, the, the Wyndham City Council's attempt to have residence applications dismissed as well. Well, it's, it's the legal right of the council to do that. Um, you know, it's sort of part of the VCAT process, but, but really, um, you know, this is, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, um, Unusual situation, I guess, in Wyndham that such a large municipal landfill is actually not run by private industry but run by the council. Mm. Um, and we think the way that that's happened in Wyndham is deeply problematic um, because apart from anything else, that means that the council, uh, as the local planning authority, actually gets to give itself permits um, yeah. to expand the landfill, uh, which I think we talked about you know, in the previous interview. Um and then that's that whole, you know, you asking for a development of a whole of government environmental justice strategy, which looks at things like, well, how can somebody, especially because you say it's unique, but how can they give themselves permits in this situation? Yes, yes. And, and, you know, under the law, it appears that they are actually permitted to do so. And, you know, we think that's wrong. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not transparent and accountable. But, but then on top of that, a council is a you know, locally elected body. Mm. Um, so you would not expect it, as it has done, to, um, for example, at a recent um, meeting of the council that um, part of this community reference group process I mentioned, uh, where the council and 
rec and other members of the community came along, um, unbeknownst to us as the lawyers that represent rec, um, council's lawyer in our matter actually appeared and uh, told everyone there, you know, that our chances of winning were really low and that rec might be, you know, risking having to pay all these legal costs. Mm. Now, I regard that as bad faith. Um, you know, didn't technically break any rules probably, but, you know, this is a body that's meant to be serving the people of Wyndham. Um, and, of course, the problem with the landfill, and one of the reasons why they're sort of tightening the screws on REC, uh, including in the local media, is that the council actually makes a considerable amount of profit out of running the landfill. So it's not simply that the, the rubbish from people who live in the area is going to the tip. It's the fact that they're taking rubbish from 10 other councils around Melbourne. Um, and, you know, that's producing a sort of nice little earner for them. Um, so this pressure about, you know, oh, if we don't, you know, expand the landfill now, um, we're going to run out of room, is really part of a much larger strategy in Melbourne uh, to essentially make the western suburbs of Melbourne bear much more than their fair share of all Melbourne's waste. We're talking to um, Chris Atmore, the lawyer with Environmental Justice Australia, I guess about the, the Melbourne's West continuing to grow, um, you know, uh, landfills in, in Melbourne's West continuing to grow and residents having no concern. And I guess the other thing is um, at the moment, uh, uh, where is the, v, the VCAT hearing at? Because, I mean, obviously, the, as you say, the legal bar is set very high for communities trying to achieve environmental justice by challenging the approval of developments like the Werribee Landfill. Um, yeah, this is an ongoing um, problem in Victoria um, and part of it is to do with the question of what they call standing. So um, EJA for a long time has advocated for open standing. Our argument has been that in environmental matters anybody should be able to take this kind of case on, on behalf of the environment and mm. people who are affected by it. Um, but in Victoria it's actually you know, quite difficult and sort of unclear um, as to who, you know, who might get standing. So you have to sort of make that case first um, before you can, you know, actually get on with what you're there to do. Um, so, you know, the good news is uh, because of the tribunal's ruling um, a little while ago, uh, you know, that, that, that hurdle's been um, jumped. So, you know, Rick has got standing, so we can, we can now go on to actually, you know, argue um, our point. So the next step in VCAT, which is, you know, pretty standard uh, is, and coming up very soon is what they call a compulsory conference, which, uh, you know, is essentially a sort of a private thing where the parties just get together and try to sort of work it out without going to the hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if that doesn't work, um, then we have a five-day hearing that starts in May. Okay. Okay, and I think, um, you know, we talk about um, the Western Region Environment Centre being REC, um, participating in obviously this legal review, but the impacts are, you know, they, they would affect most people in Melbourne, as you mentioned, um, and, and then you've obviously worked um, in writing this new report. If people would like to sort of get their hands on the Raising a Stink report, just so that they can... Um, even though, you know, you might live in places like, I don't know, Heidelberg or Ivanhoe or Reservoir, your junk is going to be going out to that landfill. If they'd like to have a quick look at, um, you know, um, the report and make up their own mind about, you know, what the value of having these landfills in those areas are, how can they get their hands on it? Yeah, so the easiest way is to just go to EJA's website, um, which is, you know, 
www.envirojustice.org.au uh, and um, Raising a Stink, which is the title of the report, that's sort of one of the uh, featured um, flash flashes that come up um, and you just click on that and that'll take you to the report and also, you know, some background on the rat case. Um, but you're right, Dean, that um, although this largely focuses on landfills, um, it also includes toxic dumps, for example, um, and there's a few of those around Melbourne. Mm. Um, you know, our clean fill... Um, the problems with uh, community participation, the science stuff, a, a lot of that is relevant to you know, other environmental issues, um, even around the state. Um, and you know, these are the sorts of things that at EJA we have people ringing about quite a lot. Um, the other um, place that would be interesting for people to go is uh, Rec's Facebook page. Um, so if they just put in Western Region Environment Centre, they should find that. Um, because one of the big uh, obstacles for REC at the moment uh, continues to be how much the case is costing them. Yeah. Um, and they've got, you know, three or four parties against them on the other side and just REC on the, you know, side of the angels, we believe. And, and they're still um, community members who are paying their rates exactly. to Wyndham Council. So, <laughs> yeah, so you've got, you've got the classic, you know, scenario where, you know, there's a lot of money on the Wyndham side. They, I don't think they're having any trouble paying for lawyers. Um, use, and of course they're using ratpayers money um, but REC because they actually were the ones that sought review of this decision they have to pay uh, all their their fees. Bills, yeah. um, so they're probably looking at 30000 plus um, and that's you know with EJA actually doing the work for free So, and the barristers have also you know uh, been incredibly generous with their time um, but you know there's no getting around it and of course a big part of that is um, the pretty large VCAT fees that you have to pay these days, so that's $12,000 alone. Um, so <clears throat> if anyone's feeling like they've got a bit of extra money and they'd like to donate that to RECO, the best uh, way to do that is to contact them through their Facebook page. And I think um, you mentioned earlier that the case will be heard by VCAT in May, um, and yes. then they will also review the EPA approval of the expansion of the Ravenhall landfill later this year. So we've got over a month or so where we can, um, yeah, donate to, to, to help the residents and the communities of uh, the Western Region Environment Centre. But, Chris, thank you very much for joining us on 3CR. We really appreciate Thanks. you giving us um, an update. Thanks for having me, Dean. And that was uh, Chris Atmore, who is the lawyer with Environmental Justice Australia. Yeah, just uh, highlighting really that, um, you know, through a, through a report which details stories from Western suburbs communities that are struggling for environmental justice while having to fight with huge rubbish tips and toxic waste dumps being imposed on them by their local council. And what they feel is that um, the uh, EPA is uh, ignoring them and brushing them off, I guess. Essentially what they're saying is, you know, uh, EPA is not the strong and effective regulator Victorians need, expect to be and, and too often it has been ineffective in addressing the concerns of local residents. So Raising the Stink is a report and you can um, try and find it on envi in the Environmental Justice Australia website or you can go to the Western Region Environment Centre website. That was uh, Rosie Burgess Band doing a little bit of pepper and salt. Um, or salt and pepper, as they say. Um, it's a great track. I remember, I remember how young I was when that song came out, but we won't get into that. 
What we might do now is um, there is a um, festival, uh, a, a conference coming up, with an on-screen Marxism conference. Um, so Melinda O'Connor catches up with the director of this weekend's Radical Reels Film Festival. Might go and listen to her. The Marxism Conference is happening this Easter weekend from the 29th of March till the 1st of April and nestled in the conference is a unique film festival, Radical Reels. And with the upcoming 50th anniversary of the May 1968 student uprising in France, it's fitting that the momentous, this momentous moment in time is the theme of the Radical Reel, Reels Film Festival. And joining me in the 3CR studios um, is the director of the Radical Reels Film Festival, lecturer and Liam Ward, lecturer in media and cinema in RMIT University, School of Media and Communication. <laughs> Liam Ward. Welcome again to On Screen, Liam. Uh, and it's great to have you in the studio this year because we've been speaking by the phone in past years. So, so it's wonderful. So, Liam, first up, um, before we speak of the actual films, can you set the scene for us and take us back 50 years ago to May 1968? Such a, a, a tumultuous time, wasn't it? Well, you wouldn't know. I, I was alive then. <laughs> you probably weren't. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, but you're right. It was a tumultuous time and one of those years that really... Uh, changed everything, you know. I mean, there's a there's a whole genre of books and films written about the impact of '68. Most of that focuses, as you said on, in your intro, on the um, you know the amazing sort of rebellion that that shook France through May and into June. Uh, but of course, it was it was bigger than that. Even you know, it was '68 was one of those years uh, where just everything, all of the simmering uh, resistance to oppression and war, you know, the movements for liberation that had been building. Uh, really since the end of the Second World War, but certainly through the 60s, uh, that they just catapulted in, in 68. You know, it was the year that, that really shook the world. Um, and so part of the theme of the, of the festival and of the conference as a whole uh, is to look... Obviously, we're focusing on, on May in France, uh, but we're looking at that rebellion uh, across the world, you know, the, the kind of global... Uh, the global nature of it and the global implications and, and the legacy of it. Mm. So, Liam, let's start with... Uh, well, let's look at the films in the Radical Reels Film Festival um, and the French essay film titled A Grin Without a Cat, mm -hmm. The New Left. Uh, this one is a uh, Chris Marker piece. Uh, mm. So Chris Marker, obviously, is one of the mm. um, sort of seminal figures in, in that genre of the essay film. was also, of course, a very committed and radical... Uh, socialist himself, a, a leftist, a revolutionary. And uh, Grin Without a Cat is his attempt, um, some years later, after 68, to look back at what happened in 68, uh, the birth of the new left, the struggle against, not just against oppression and injustice and, and capitalism, but, but also the, the sort of internal battles that the left had to go through, uh, you know, against the legacy of Stalinism, mm -hmm. uh, etc. And uh, so he's looking back sort of 10 years later uh, at that global, that global kind of new left that emerged uh, after 68. It's an amazing film. It really is. It's, um, I what mean, sort it's of style has he... Because he's, he's got, you know, I mean, his oeuvre begins with... I'm just thinking, what, what was the, <laughs> the short uh, film that had... Letter from that, Siberia? Yeah, yes, and, and the short film that he has... Um, Le Jeté? Yes, Le yes. Jeté. <laughs> yes, yes. It's an amazing film too. Yeah. It is. And it, was, of course, was the um, prototype later on for... Um, Twelve monkeys. Twelve monkeys. That's right. Uh, so yeah, he, um, you know, he's someone who is associated with uh, the sort of anti-colonialist mm. filmmaking that was starting to emerge through the late fifties and early sixties in France, uh, working with people like Alain Resnay um, and, and others. And 
I guess in some ways was also associated with the left bank. You know, so in, in France in that period, there's the New Wave, which is famous, uh, the famous filmmakers, you know, the Yagodars and stuff like that. Uh, and within that, there's a movement that emerges within, I guess, within it, but also in a sense distinct from it, uh, the left bank, who saw themselves, well, they were situated on the the left side of the river, uh, so it was the left bank, but they also saw themselves as particularly left wing, um, and more more to the left than the standard um, new wave filmmakers. Uh, so you know, in in opposition, then I guess to people like Truffaut, who they saw as, as far more moderate. Also, in a sense, in opposition to some of the stuff that was coming out of K is the cinema, um, you know, and their adulation of the auteurist sort of stuff as well. Um, so Marker comes from that crowd. Uh, there's other people in there who are significant, like Agnes Varda, mm. of course. Um, so yeah, so Marker goes through uh, through this period, and then in in '67, he I guess there's two things that uh, really kick off, I guess the new Chris Marker, <laughs> for want of a better word. So he in '67 he's approached by uh, some students who had been organising against the Vietnam War um, to produce a film um, in solidarity with the North Vietnamese struggle or the struggle of the Vietnamese against the US. And uh, so he he takes that up with Gusto. He forms a new distribution company um, called, S- well, the acronym was S-L-O-N, SLON, which is also the Russian word for elephant, apparently. So oh. there's some kind of meaning behind that, which, mm-hmm. I'm, which is it's lost to me. The uh, elephant in the room. Maybe the elephant in the room, yeah. Um, but he, uh, the, he with, with, that com- with that distribution company, he pulls together, what's distribution and production, really, I guess, he pulls together some of the uh, most influential left-wing filmmakers, not just from France, but from across Europe. So people like Yoris Evans, uh, William Klein, Varda, um, even Jacques Demy at first, uh, but he later drops out. Anyway, he pulls together, and Goddard, of course, so he pulls together this big sort of uh, coalition of leftist filmmakers and they make uh, the seminal uh, anti-Vietnam war film, um, which is, of course, Far From Vietnam, it has a French title. We have to excuse me because my French is atrocious. Okay. Uh, but the title in, in English is Far From Vietnam. Uh, it's actually produced in Belgium to get around uh, France's notoriously strict uh, film censorship laws. Uh, and then they distribute that, or the plan was to distribute that sort of covertly underground in France. It's a kind of coalition, like I said, a coalition mm-hmm. of filmmakers. So the piece, all these filmmakers make little... Have you seen it? Oh. No. Makes all these little... Uh, they make these little kind of snippets of their response to the Vietnam War and their expression of solidarity with the Vietnamese people. And it's sandwiched between um, an intro and an outro that Marker himself made. And is uh, it a feature film? It's feature Star length, yes. yeah, it's feature yeah. length. It's sort of, it's a strange film because it is so episodic. Yeah. You know, it's sort of ten different filmmakers making these little parts and it's all sandwiched together. Um, but quite amazing. And some, some of the scenes are really brutal. Like there's some footage in there that um, was taken by a French journalist whose name escapes me, unfortunately. Uh, but she was in North Vietnam filming stuff there. Some of the horror at, of what was happening with the bombings from the US, etc., the napalm, etc. Uh, and her footage is then is used. Yoris well, Evans uses her footage in his section of the film. So there's some very uh, confronting stuff in there. Mm. Mm. Um, anyway, so he they, they make this film. The plan, as I said, was to distribute it in France, sort of covertly. At the same time that they're producing it, though, Marker gets uh, another phone call, this time from uh, some of his associates who've been working around um, the car manufacturing and sort of auto industry. This is in 67, remember? And they say, and they say, oh, look, Chris, you better come up to 
this factory here, there's amazing things happening. So he s- scoots off to the factory with a sound guy uh, and the two of them, and a camera, and the two of them rock up there and um, encounter this amazing strike taking place with these, the workers, are this sort of confident strike, this, this kind of insurgent movement amongst this, in this factory that, that was, in hindsight, you could say, it's destroying the wind of what was about to come. Uh, but, you know, so Mark is thinking, wow, this is this amazing film. So they start making a documentary about those workers as well. And um, in, the case, in the course of making that documentary, they finish Far From Vietnam, and so Far From Vietnam then has its very first public screening anywhere in the world inside that factory mm. uh, to those striking workers, um, which is just an amazing little, little footnote. Mm. But the film that comes out of then the strike uh, is a film called Be Seeing You, or I'll be in, I'll be in just I'll be in my French again, but mm. Be Seeing You. The, f- the workers hate it. The striking workers hate this film. And they've, always, they've liked Chris, you know, they've liked Mark, mm. they've said, oh, the, you know, we're happy to have you here making this film, but they hate the way they're being portrayed. And they've said, oh, you've just made us look like a charity case, you know. So Mark thinks, oh, well, okay, then we have to change everything. So he sets up a new, um, a new approach to filmmaking, a new model of filmmaking, uh, and he says, we're going to have in sort of industrial groups, we'll go in and work with these workers who are striking, uh, and we'll basically train them up in skills of filmmaking, but it, it, it's about them representing themselves. So it's one of those first, mm. you know, it's, I mean, that became an established practice, I guess, for filmmakers so in the following decades. Yeah, mm. participatory, collaborative, mm. you know, the filmmaker <coughs> stepping out of the kind of classic ethnographer mould, I guess, mm. you know. Mm. Um, mm. You know, and a lot of academic filmmakers, I guess, have done that, a lot of political filmmakers, but for Marco, it was a particular thing about, well, this is about revolution. This is about these workers coming to their own consciousness about their power, and they should have... You know, how can they do that if they're not expressing themselves, you know? Mm. So he thought, no, this is actually a political thing that we need to do to, to get these workers making their own films. Um, so he sets up these groups, and originally these groups didn't have a name. Um, they were just groups that Marco was setting up. Uh, and he had, at one point in this factory, he had told the workers um, a story about a guy called Alexander Medvikin, who was a... Russian filmmaker in the early 30s, in the Stalinist era, unfortunately. Um, but he'd been working on... He'd had these trains. We'd gone out to factories and, and made films uh, and, and stuff on these trains. Now, I'd, if you, I know we've spoken in previous years. Like a couple of years ago, I did a, a thing at the Radical Reels conference about the early days of Soviet cinema when they had these agit trains that used to go out into the countryside and mm. stuff. In the, that was agit trains instead of agit prop. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Well, they would go out and make agit prop on the agit trains. And it's a, one of those amazing, amazing stories. And I've always thought it would be so much better if Chris Marker had told those workers the story about that period in the mm. early 20s when it was a genuine revolution that was unfolding. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, for whatever quirk of history, he told them the story about the Stalinist in the early 30s, Medvedkin. Uh, but the workers loved this story so much that they said, well, we should call our groups the Medvedkin groups. Uh, so that's what they became. And those groups then, again, they didn't, no one sort of knew, I guess, what was coming. And uh, in 67, a lot of these workers... In one, of my re- in one of my sources, while I was putting together the presentation for, for the conference, uh, I came across this quote from one of the workers saying, sort of towards the end of 67, saying, wow, 67, what a great year. You know, there's been some big years in history, and 67's one of them, and we'll look back and say 67 was a big year. <laughs> you know, they don't have a clue what's coming, you know. Uh, just a few months later, there's going to be 10 million people on strike. The president's going to be fleeing the country in a helicopter. It's, you know, all of that is yet to come. Um, and so, yeah, so they set up these Medvedkin groups and then through the course then of, of 68 and, and even afterwards, you know, for the next sort of, you know, five or six years, these groups make all these amazing 
amazing short documentaries in the factories, wherever there were workers on strike occupying the factories, whatever, the Medvedkin groups were in there uh, uh, making films about them. So we'll be showing a range of clips from some of those films mm. uh, at the conference as well. Oh, fantastic. And the Chris Marker film that you'll be screening is A Grin Without yes, a Cat. that's right. I got the on a tangent. New, <laughs> the New Left, yes. Um, very, it's a Lewis Carroll reference. It is. <laughs> yes. um, so that would be fantastic to see, A Grin Without a Cat, The New Left. Um, so you've got quite a few other films um, that we're going to get to. Well, let's talk about then, on the, obviously the same theme, the film May 1968, Great Evenings and Little Mornings. Uh, this is, now, this one is a William Klein film. William Klein's a very important figure. Uh, he started as a photographer, I think, originally uh, in the, from the US, um, but sort of relocates, you know, becomes an expat in France uh, and throws himself into filmmaking and is associated with those left-bank filmmakers I mentioned earlier uh, and was one of the contributors to Far From Vietnam. Um, uh, so like Marker, he, he then makes his film a few years later looking back at the events of 68, but his is a very different film. Grand Soir and Petit Matin. So my French is getting better as the day goes on. Yeah, Petit Matin. Uh, I think that's... Well, Petit Matin, I think, uh, as well as saying Little Mornings, I think is a, um, a euphemism for a hangover. Ah, so I mm-hmm. think part of what Klein's saying there is, you know, the, the big party and then the hangover. Mm. And so, he make, again, he's making this film a few years later. But the difference with him and Marker, not just in terms of style, his is not... His is, you know, where Marker makes the more considered sort of essayistic... Uh, rumination on the legacy of 68. Klein is working with the, the footage that he shot in May and June itself, and it's visceral. You know, it's this kind of on-the-ground, urgent, uh, energetic film. Um, it is like a, a big party. And in this film, you know, you get all of the big marches, the big rallies, millions of people. You get the Occupy factories. You get the student protests, the night of the barricades, fighting the riot police. You also get these scenes of all the various debates that unfolded in the, in, the, in the Sorbonne, you know, in the occupied university, um, in the various factory committees. There's even childcare centres and things, and there's these debates unfolding. Um, so it's, it's that sort of on-the-ground, uh, verite-style, energetic, frenetic uh, film. The interesting thing about this one, though, is that uh, in all of our research, as far as we can tell, this has never before been screened in Australia. Oh. We've, we've translated and subtitled it ourselves, um, so it's been quite a big effort to get this, uh, this, this together. Mm. Uh, about two weeks ago in New York, we noticed that it popped up that someone over there put on a screening with English subtitles. So it seems like maybe we weren't the only ones oh. beavering away on this project oh. to mark the anniversary mm. of 68. Uh, but nonetheless, certainly this is the first time in Australia that we're aware of that this film has screened with English subtitles, and it's amazing. If, you've, you know, if you're interested in the history of 68 and some of the, key, the big debates, the big scenes, and the key players, uh, you definitely see some of them. There's footage there. Plenty of speeches from people like Daniel Cohen-Bendit, uh, Daniel Ben-Saeed, Henri Weber. You know, some of these big figures are in there uh, arguing it out, you know, thrashing out the debates. So it really brings the spirit of May and June alive. And that film is May 1968, Great Evenings and Little Mornings. And we're speaking with Liam Ward, who is the festival director of the Radical Reels Film Festival. The festival's happening this weekend, um, and you can catch Melinda O'Connor... On, on screen, 3CR Saturdays, 11am. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. 
To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Community Radio on International Women's Day. Streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. Stay tuned all day for Voices of Women. That was just a little bit of a reminder that, yes, we did stream live on International Women's Day. Sorry about that. I thought it was our nibs breakfast sting. Um, it's time now to uh, yeah, organise getting our next guest on the show. Um, we're just trying to get her on. Uh, a while back, well, not a while back, well, you know, time, what is it, so to speak. Um, on In November... There was a group of uh, protesters who uh, glued themselves to the railing of the public gallery uh, in November and they were arrested and now they are appearing in the Canberra Supreme Court to face trial uh, by jury and the trial began on Tuesday the 27th of March. So there were members of a group called WACA, which stands for Whistleblowers, Activists and Citizens Alliance, a grassroots community alliance that educates, advocates and um, activates and agitates for change from the local to the global level in an attempt to assert and establish uh, human, civil and environmental rights as non-negotiable foundation stones of a peaceful, sustainable, local and global community. And so as this trial has been continuing, uh, this media spokesperson for WACA, Mara Bonacci, has been present. And she joins us now on the line from Canberra to give us a bit of an update. Good morning, Mara. Morning. How are you going? Very well, very well. Then you're in that thriving metropolis that is Canberra. Oh, yes, the nation's capital. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I've just done a, a bit of an intro about who you guys are and I guess uh, more importantly, um, you know, the, the Super Glue 7. Yes. Yeah, so the jury, the trial part finished uh, yesterday afternoon. It went for two days. Um, and then this morning, the jurors, the 12 jurors, are gathering at 12, at 9am to um, deliberate. And so we should have a verdict today. Um, the seven people have pleaded not guilty. The charge is um, intentional damage to Commonwealth property because they glued their seven people glued their hands to the balustrade in the southern gallery of the House of Reps and they got charged with damage. Now some of that is whether that damage was intentional and uh, and some of it is um, whether that damage was the word they've been using in court is trivial or not. Because what happened was we had done research beforehand about superglue and leather and bonding, and the superglue can easily be removed by using acetone, like nail polish remover. Yep, without um, causing damage, obviously. That's right. Um, now, the first person they removed from court in November 2016, um, they ripped her hand off, and so... 
um, that, yeah, they just ripped her hand off. So she had a bit of it. That, we think that's where the damage was on the balustrade. But all the others, they ended up using hand sanitizer, not even acetone. And so they're saying, you know, there was some damage done, but mostly it's residue. The photos were extraordinarily um, not good quality. Um, and so what the um, Crown prosecutor has to prove is that they caused intentional damage that was more than trivial. And it was... Well, the government's estimate was it was like about nearly $1,300 worth of damage and across seven people, that's not much. Yeah. Yeah, and but, I guess, and I guess it's it's all about really what you guys stand for, which is you exactly. know um, educating and advocating. So, um, you know, what the the Super Glue Seven were actually in the public gallery for seems like that's been something that some of the jury members have been warned about not considering. Yeah, I mean the whole thing. It's not about the seven, and all seven mm. of them will tell anybody that it's not about them. This is about refugees. That's right. Yeah. This is about Australian government being complicit in the rape, torture, murder, and abuse of innocent people, and WACA and a lot of other people across Australia refuse to be complicit in the bipartisan policies that cause such trauma to refugees, and they've criminalised the legal act of asking for help. Yep. Um, and that, yeah, for the refugees and then people that stand up for refugees are criminalised also. And we're thinking that the real criminals are the ones that sit in Parliament House. And I think more importantly, um, you know, uh, to warn a jury member that ref- refugee policies were irrelevant when it came to deciding the verdicts is, is, is sort of reaching, a, 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 you know, clutching at straws because, you know, people have to have an opinion. Well, and, yeah, the case isn't about that at all. The yeah. case is really about intentional, the le- from the legal side, the case is actually just about um, intentional damage to government property. Yeah. But while we're here with the, um, with the seven, uh, in the Super Glue Seven in court, there's a bunch of other support people around and we've been here all week and we've done a lot of other solidarity actions around Canberra. Um, For example, right this moment, um, there's quite a lot of us outside the um, new super ministry belonging to um, Minister Peter Dutton. Um, And so we're at the Department of Home Affairs right now um, and that houses what was formerly immigration, which is now citizenship, Um, uh, ACO, Border Force. And so it's a bit of a... And there's a... Wilson Security car park here. So they've got the contracts on Manus and Nauru and so they're complicit in all the horrors that go on there as well. So at this one-stop shop of horror right now doing a protest here, um, that's literally just kicking off now. Um, yesterday, um, some solidarity Two solidarity actions happened. One was in the morning a banner um, was hung off the Commonwealth Bridge in Canberra and some flares were let off, some highlighting the issue of refugees. And then yesterday afternoon, 10 people went into the Southern Gallery at question time again and interrupted and did the mic check that we did in 2016, slightly modified to say, look, the policies haven't changed, but the trauma has um, you know, increased since then to the people held in detention. And, it, and and I think it keeps going on, you know. Absolutely. It, and, yeah, and that's where, you know, the 1300, what, what, what's the, if they were found guilty, is it only just going to be a fine? No, well, we don't know what, what, what the judge will decide, but they do face up to seven years in, in up to 10 years in jail. Okay. That's the maximum penalty for this. Um, we maintain their innocence, they maintain their innocence, and I think we've got a good case, but we won't know until later today. Yeah, which is uh, probably more than some people get for white-collar crime. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but what we're all saying is, for you know, if things do go badly today, there's 
thousands of people across the country that will step up to support refugees, and that's the whole point of doing all these solidarity actions around the court case while we're in Canberra this week. Like you can, you know, throw seven people in the Supreme Court, but other people will step up to defend refugees and try and change the bipartisan policies that we have that are just so cruel. And what's the feeling been like with uh, um, Peter Dutton's suggestion that white African farmers should receive special attention when we know oh. that people in Nauru are obviously in, in suffering? Uh, well, it's a little bit funny, really. Um, but I was hearing last night that apparently there's a lot of South African people in his electorate in Dixon in Queensland. Okay. That may have something to do with it. Um, and he's only got that seat by a margin of 3%, so he's really trying to hang on to his his position, and that might be where he's coming from. But, um, yeah, you know, all across the world people have been saying that's ridiculous, people, you know, um, that are in detention, are, you know, really needing support, not, not necessarily these white farmers. Even South Africans said so. Mm. And, and, you know, the fact that uh, there are around 40 children in Nauru who sort of have spent their entire lives in detention exactly. um, doesn't seem to be, you know, at the forefront of his thinking. Exactly, and a 10-year-old tried to commit suicide recently, which is just unacceptable. Yeah, no ten-year-old should be thinking like that. No, no ten-year-old should know it's something you could do. And so you're expecting to to get some kind of a verdict, um, I guess, yeah, within the next forty-five minutes or sometime well, no, after that. No, yeah, no, sometime today. It depends. There's no, there's no way of knowing how long the jury will take to deliberate. It might be all day. I mean, worst case scenario, they could be thinking about it over over Easter and coming back. But we do think that they will. Um, come up with their verdict today and so it's just a no way of knowing how long they'll take. It might be five minutes, it might be five hours. And uh, yeah, we really, really appreciate you getting back to us. I mean, obviously it's uh, it's quite tough there what's happening and hopefully, um, yeah, the Super Blue 7, um, your, the, the case can go in your favour because as you know you, the, the reason they were protesting has a lot more to do than with just uh, damaging property. Yeah, no it, it had nothing to do with um, damaging property. The, the Super Blue 7 that 30 of us went in to question time, 7 glued on to, to try and hold the space a bit longer before we got pulled out um, and the point of that was to disrupt Parliament to um, draw attention to the issue of refugees. Mm. Um, and that was the whole point. Um, intentional damage was not the point, and we maintain that the damage wouldn't have happened if they'd used acetone um, and not ripped one person's hand off, and if and in the end they'd used nail polish remover. So it was not intentional damage. And I, yeah, I think that the damage was probably done by the... Um, parliamentary security officers ripping someone's hand off rather than the glue being um, put on the balustrade at all. And interestingly, all the uh, online media reports don't talk about the reason for why you're in court. No, they no, talk about why you're in court, which yeah. yeah doesn't surprise me. There's nothing in the mainstream newspapers which yeah. you you wouldn't um, yeah yeah. Well, no normal. one's on trial for standing up for refugees. Yeah. But, um, oh, yeah, and I guess not, yeah, not the two others too, um, which is quite interesting. You know, there's been thirteen hundred dollars, twelve hundred ninety-five dollars worth of damage. But uh, Pat Holmes and Cat obviously um, were fined fifteen hundred dollars each yeah. for abseiling. Which is, yep. uh, yeah, it's quite interesting that they just sort of got a fine for that, but you know, they're, they're oh, well, clutching they, they pleaded guilty. Yeah, they pleaded guilty to, um, from, from the, for the abseiling. They, okay. uh, they pleaded guilty to that, whereas the Super Glue 7 chose to go to, um, trial by jury. Yeah, yeah, hopefully they get some media exposure after the trial to be able to talk yep. about the ref, part of the refugees too. Yeah, and hopefully get some positive change in policy and a better outcome for refugees. 
Mara, thank you very much for joining us on uh, 3CR and keep up the good work. And if, yeah, if, if uh, you know, when the result comes through, please just email us here and um, we'll be able to follow up with you again. Fantastic. That's great. And if I could just say that if anyone listening can ring their local MP and say that the Australian policies on refugees are outrageous and must be changed, we need justice for refugees and to evacuate all detention immediately and bring people to safety and give them some support. People could ring their local MP or if people could ring Peter Dutton's office, that would be great. And I think the other thing um, is you can go to uh, WACA. Yep. Yeah, and Whistleblowers, Activists and Citizens Alliance on Facebook or Akawaka, A-K-A-W-A-C-A on Twitter. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us on 3CR. And, uh, Thank you so we'll much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. And that was uh, Mara, the spokesperson for... WACA, which stands for, it's WACA, Whistleblowers, Activists and Citizens Alliance. Hopefully, um, yeah, the Super Glue 7 end up getting a positive outcome with the jury's uh, verdict after 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, what I might do is just go to a quick track before we wrap up the show. It's a bit of uh, Superman by uh, Black Coffee. Uh, a bit of Black Coffee with Superman. Marxism 18 is Australia's biggest radical left-wing conference, happening March 29th to April 1st in Melbourne. The conference will feature founding editor of Jacobin magazine, Bhaskar Sunkara, Australian writer Helen Razor, Palestinian activist Huwaida Araf, and films celebrating 50 years since the struggles of 1968. Join radicals and activists for political discussion in over 100 sessions across four days. Tickets start at $25 and are available at marxismconference.org. Red Flag Press is a 3CR supporter. Uh, We just uh, earlier spoke to Chris Atmore, lawyer for the Environmental Justice Australia, talking about landfills in Melbourne's west. Um, We were going to try and get Friends of the Earth, Ed Hill, um, they were, they, they yesterday welcomed the announcement by the Andrews government that will increase protection of the Quok Forest in East Gippsland. We had them on on the 1st of Feb. We spoke to Ed about what was happening there with the police and everything. Uh, whereas next Thursday, the 5th of April at the Copeland Theatre, 162 Berkeley Street, Carlton, Towards Climate Justice, Fresh Perspectives in the Climate Discussion. So from uh, 5.30, there'll be a networking event uh, with complimentary carbon-neutral wine and uh, entertainment. And the main event, uh, moderated by Bank Australia, Victoria mackenzie McHarg, is at uh, 6.30. So you're going to have Professor Gillian Triggs, former president of the Australian Rights Human Rights Commission, uh, Peter Tofu, Tongan Olympic and Winter Olympian, Wendy Farmer, President of the Voices of the Valley, Professor Mick Dodson AM, Barrister, Academic and Member of the Yawuru Peoples. So this diverse panel of representatives will explore climate justice from a range of perspectives, recognising that climate change threatens to undermine social and economic progress across our region. The breadth of social justice issues will be highlighted, provoking discussion about the scale of institutional change required to move our region forward. Uh, tickets are available via facebook.com forward slash climates. Um, 
and obviously we you know they 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 want to make sure the prices and the price does not exclude people from this important discussion. Uh, if you seek concession pricing for yourself or a group, please contact panels at climates.org.au, briefly outlining your circumstances and make sure, um, yeah, you get in contact with them. Um, there's a book launch uh, with uh, Carmel Shute um, and Jim McIlroy next Wednesday at 6.30pm at the Multicultural Hub 506 Elizabeth Street, and that's uh, Red North, so it's about uh, uh, south of the border, Queensland may be, be better known for the reactionary Joe Bioko-Peterson regime of the 70s, yet in the 30s and 40s, um, the area north of Makaita Cairns developed as the single strongest base for the Communist Party of Australia, uh, and Fred Patterson became the only communist ever elected to an Australian parliament. So this is what the theme of the Red North, the popular front in North Queensland, is all about. Um, yeah, just quickly wrap up the show. At 7.10, uh, we listened to Union News with Matt Kunkel, and he is on 3CR Stick Together program every Wednesday, 8.30am to 9. At 7.30, we spoke to Chris Atmore, the lawyer um, with Environmental Justice Australia, talking about how the residents uh, of the Western Region Environment Centre um, have been taking, obviously, the expansion of the Roby Landfill to VCAT, but they feel like their concerns have been ignored and brushed off by the State Environment Protection Authority. Uh, and Chris mentioned that she has a report called Raising a Stink, which details stories from Western suburb communities that are struggling for environmental justice while having huge rubbish tips and toxic waste dumps imposed on them. At 7.45, uh, Melinda O'Connor caught up with the director of this weekend's Radical Reels Film Festival, um, Liam Ward, who is also a lecturer in media and cinema at RMIT, and he's the festival organiser. That's happening this weekend, and you can always catch Melinda O'Connor on on screen, 3CR Saturdays at 11am. Uh, and just after 8, we caught up with Mara who is the spokesperson for WACA. Um, Mara Bonacci is in Canberra with WACA as the people who superglued their hands to the gallery in question time at Parliament House in November 2016 uh, in court and were in court um, to face trial, which, as I mentioned, started two days ago. And the jury has been deliberating, and I think they will come out at 9am. They might have some kind of a resolution, or it might be after Easter. But, um, yeah, thank you for joining us on 3CR. I'll quickly go to Good Friday Appeal before you go to Lost in Science. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.